Before we get going here, got to talk about our proud partner, Rawlings Canada. For over 130 years, Rawlings has been the most trusted brand in diamond sports. Every Rawlings product is carefully crafted with the finest materials available and assembled, weighed, measured, tested, and inspected for the highest possible level of quality and consistency. I can tell you firsthand how good their product is. The glove I've been wearing since 2014 is Hopi's Rawlings glove that he got in 2000. Think about that. I'm wearing a glove that will be 24 years old this summer. If that doesn't tell you just how good their product is, I don't know what will. Rawlings, check them out wherever you get your ball gear. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. What is going on, everyone? Hope y'all had a fantastic weekend. I'm telling you right now, we got all of our winter wrapped into two days here in Nova Scotia over the weekend. I think they were originally saying we were only getting like 15 to 20 centimeters of snow, which, you know, would be five to seven inches for the entire weekend. But pretty sure we got like over 20 inches of the white stuff. Some people like it. Me personally, not a big fan. Anyways, welcome to episode 154 of Outside the Shoot. I'm your host, Randy Frame. We have another great one for you this week as we sat down and chatted with University of Memphis alum and 2020 Olympian with the Australian national team, the one and only Ellen Roberts. Elle has had a fantastic career to date and is still going strong. During her time at the University of Memphis from 2011 to 2014, she set 25 school records, including most strikeouts and wins in school history. After making her debut for the New South Wales Firestars in 2014, later that year, Ellen also made her debut with the Aussie Spirit at that year's World Championship in the Netherlands, where they captured a bronze medal. She has since gone on to play professionally for the past nine seasons in the US, Japan, and New Zealand, to name a few, and had the privilege of being able to call herself an Olympian as she represented Australia at the 2020 Games in Tokyo. We're gonna talk to Elle about getting her start in the game at a young age, how she ended up in Memphis, Tennessee, her time on the national team, those 2020 Olympics, and so much more. Elle was an absolute pleasure to chat with. I'm so excited to see what's in store for her moving forward. I have no doubt with her work ethic and upbeat personality, it's going to be fantastic. So with that being said, this is Outside the Shoot and anything goes. I've got the world in my palm. Lights, camera, action, it's on. I can't describe what I'm feeling. Ain't never felt this freedom. I've got the world in my palm. Lights, camera, action, it's on. to have on with us today, University of Memphis alum, USSA Pride member in the WPF, current member of the Aussie Spirit, and 2020 Olympian, the one and only Ellen Roberts. Elle, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Randy. Thank you for having me. How's things going down under this morning? So far, so good. I've just had breakfast amongst our beautiful bushland view, and I'm about to get started for my day ahead. It's summer here, so... Outside is warm and ready for a good day. Oh, I'm so jealous. I, like like we were saying before we start recording here, it's it's snow and cold and and I don't like it. So <laughs> I wish I had your summer weather. 
What uh, so what's on the go with with you these days? So at the moment I'm home, um, kind of in between gigs. I got home from Japan at uh, the end of November, and I, since I've been home, I've just been catching up on things back home in Sydney and coaching a few kids here and there. And I'm currently involved with the Australian squad, so. I have a couple squad camps coming up. I'm actually leaving this afternoon to go to the AIS, our Institute of Sport, and um, I think it's our first group, full group session for the year ahead, so that's super exciting. And I've also been playing in the New Zealand League, so since I've been home I flew over to Auckland, played about a week there in, in their competition, and I'll be doing that a couple more times between now and March. Nice, nice. I, actually, you guys had a big tournament win there last weekend, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. We played the Wayne Roper tournament, which was hosted by Odahu, and it was their 10th anniversary of that tournament. And very prestigious. All the clubs in New Zealand have a, have their own tournament, and um, they mean a lot of I mean a lot to each club. So it was an honor for us to be a part of it and even greater for us to win. So it was very enjoyable time. That's awesome. How is it? Uh, I see the, the pitching matches, mats that they have there. What's what's it like throwing on them? I don't mind it. I, I've thrown on it every now and then throughout my career, and the, I always try and think of the positives of each different field. But for me, pitching on those rubber mats, you know that it's consistent, so it True. doesn't move. It's flat. It's firm. And you know your footing is going to be strong off the mat and landing every time. And um, you know that it's going to be the same from the first inning to the last inning. And that's what I really like about it. Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. I mean, I've been a pitcher my whole life. I've been pitching for 40 years now. So and I'm still going. So I, I'm i just I can't be, like I look at those and I'm like, can you slide like do they can you slide pretty good on them? Uh, I don't slide at all. Depending on the field, some of the rubber mats are put onto grass, some are put onto artificial turf, and some are on top of dirt. So because of that, we wear out – I wear my metal cleats. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're pitching on the mat on metal cleat shoes, so it's kind of like you don't slide at all. You grip even though your feet aren't sinking into the surface. But, yeah, I, I don't slide at all. Okay. I just stick – Go. I feel like I fall over. I I come off the mountain. I just keep going. Boom, fall down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I I like pitching off them. Nice, nice. Um, well, we have a little thing I like to open the podcast with here. I call it quick pitches. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out some random questions to you, and uh, it, you answer them as best you can. Okay. All right. Sounds good. First one. If you had to live off one meal for a week, what would it be? One meal, it would be oatmeal, oatmeal. because I feel like it's so much with oatmeal. <laughs> That's okay. I, did that. I think you're the first one to ever say oatmeal. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you could add anything to it. It keeps you feeling full for ages. Gives you all the energy you need. I love oatmeal. That is true. That is true. I actually, I want to ask, what was the last night you posted the the creamy tomato pasta? Yeah, that looked delicious. So good. So. Almost two years ago, I switched over to having a fully plant-based diet mm -hmm. and I've sort of experimented here and there with what best works for me. And so now I am plant-based, so vegan if you like. And sometimes 
as I've learned more and more, I've discovered more ways to get creative and that creamy tomato pasta popped up one day, something similar on my Instagram feed and I thought I'd give it a try and ever since I'm hooked, it's so good. So have you, like since you've gone plant-based, has like have you noticed a, a big difference? Yeah, I have. I feel like I have a lot more energy throughout the day for a longer period. I feel um, almost like a more fresh feeling within myself, like in my body. And another big difference for me too is my whole life I've sort of had very sensitive skin. I'm quite fair. Mm-hmm. and But ever since I'm plant-based, I haven't had as much like skin irritations and things like that. So it really has helped me and especially towards my sport. That was my initial reason for doing it was to try and, try and find another way to improve and be a better version of myself as an athlete. And so going plant-based, I thought I'd give it a go. And I think it definitely has paid off in, in terms of like being able to perform and have the energy and feeling powerful. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. I got a little sidetracked yeah. there on quick pitches. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, uh, next one. Uh, biggest thing you miss at University of Memphis. Oh, Memphis. I love so much about that place and my school. Oh, the biggest thing. I think just the culture, the the Memphis American culture there in the city and on campus, the people there, that was definitely what made that experience so special. I mean, there's a million other things that I loved about being there, but just the culture of Memphis in general was a fantastic place for me. Okay. We'll talk more about Memphis here in a little bit. Um, best thing about growing up in Australia? Oh, uh... <laughs> I feel very proud to be Australian. I feel like, especially in the softball world, it's quite unique coming from down under. Um, and I think for an Aussie girl who's come from a bushland upbringing, just having an outdoor lifestyle, growing up outside and getting amongst all the sports and being active every day, that's probably been one of the best things for me growing up as a kid, as an Aussie. Okay. When you say bushland lifestyle, what's that mean? So where I live, we're in the outer city of Sydney, but we're amongst uh, a, a national forest. A, a, we call it the bush. The oh, okay. Bush. It's like a forest and it's a national forest and it's leafy and overgrown trees and we're, we're amongst the, the forest here. Okay. All right. Well, now I have a good visual. <laughs> <laughs> um, next one. What's one thing you're not very good at? Oh. Not very good at. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about this. I try to focus on the things I'm not good at. That's a proper uh, way to I be. Sprinting. I'm not a very quick sprinter. I can run all day, but it won't be very quick. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, you're trapped on a deserted island and can have three things. What are they? My coffee, my cat, and... A tent. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Uh, If you could go back and play one game over again, which one is it? Oh. No, no redos. I'm happy with how everything's happened in in my career so far. I feel like everything's had a lesson, so no do-overs. Beautiful answer. Good answer. Um, Striking out the side to win a game or hitting a walk-off? Oh, striking out a side, 100%. Of course, us pitchers. <laughs> of course, yeah. we want that. <laughs> yeah. 
but but then again, I always I always think, man, I I always would wonder what it'd be like to actually hit a walk off home run. <laughs> but I mean, that must it's a good feeling, but still, I want to have the ball in my hand and be untouchable. I want to strike someone out all the time. There we go. Uh, one batter over your career, you can't seem to get out. Is there one? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's been a couple here and there throughout the years, but sooner or later I would get them out or it's been a good back and forth. I can, there's been ones all around the world since I've played in various countries, but it's been, if there's ever been a hitter like that, I would figure out a way to get them out and then we'd always have a good back and forth. Right on, right on. Uh, two more here. Do you have any superstitions or rituals before a game? No superstitions, but I am very um, routine-based. I like a good routine. So for me, before a game, it's doing my hair and makeup, listening to music, and then getting zoned in into the game time once I'm on the way to the field, enjoying some music, and then going through my warm-up, as I always do. Okay, excellent. And last one. If you can have dinner with three people, living or dead, who would they be? Mm. My grandmother's on both sides and my great-grandmother on my mum's side. Oh, wow. Okay. You'd be asking a lot of questions there, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. I never grew up with grandparents. I think the last of them passed away when I was one. So I've never gotten an opportunity to speak to them, but I would love to speak to those people for sure. Oh, I imagine. I imagine. All right, so let's get on to uh, let's get on to your career. How did uh, how did little little Elle get her start in the game? <laughs> well, I grew up in the bushland of Sydney, outskirts of Sydney, and my childhood best friend lived two doors up, and she had two older brothers who played at the local baseball club, and that's across the road from our house, and so we wanted to do what the boys did. So we joined up to the local baseball club at five years old and we played a couple of years together for the local club. And at that time in my life, it was the best thing ever Saturday softball or Saturday baseball at the time going along and having fun with my friends. And then a couple of years down the track, we were getting older and we had to move into either coach pitch or machine pitch. I think it was in baseball or we could switch over to play softball. And I wanted to play baseball because the boys threw harder and hit harder than um, some of the girls. So I wanted to continue to play with the boys, but she wanted to go over to softball. So I uh, followed my friend over to softball and fell in love with the game even more. And that's where it started. Did you start pitching right away? I started pitching at nine years old. So once I went over to softball and then I think we had a year or two in t-ball still but softball softball t-ball okay and then and then the next year we were going into mod ball so where the kids start to pitch and my dad said to me you're going into mod ball what position do you want to play and in t-ball I was always first base because back then kids used to just hit the ball to the pitcher and the pitcher would pick the ball up and throw the ball to one so every out went to first base right and I loved getting the ball every time so when my dad said what position do you want to play I said I don't know, I just want to have the ball all the time. And he said, okay, you'd be a pitcher. And so we started doing pitching lessons and then went into mod ball where we started to pitch. Nice, nice. So did you have a, a love for the game right away or did it did it per, like become more over time? Uh, I always enjoyed it. I always thought it was so much fun. 
Um, so I guess I did love it, but it wasn't something that was like, I wasn't super passionate about it. I had heaps of things going on as a kid, like I did swimming and basketball and girl guides and lots of different things. Um, but it was in 2000 when the Olympics came to Sydney, I was eight years old and I went, my mum had won a couple of tickets from her company at work for the opening ceremony. And my, my dad offered up his ticket for me to go with my mum. And it was then that I was became like in love with the sport because I saw the Olympic opening ceremony. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be a part of this. And I went home and said to my dad, dad, I've got to go to the Olympics. I want to be a part of it. I'm going to go play t-ball in the Olympics. And he was like, there's no t-ball at the Olympics, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there is softball. I was like, well, it's going to have to be softball then. So, um, yeah, I think that was the moment for me that I then became in love with the game and it became more than just something fun I did on a Saturday. It was my my goal and dreams was to be a Olympian for softball. That's amazing. So can you remember what the opening ceremonies were like? Because, I mean, that would have been just a huge crowd. Yeah, it was massive. I, I do remember it. It was in Homebush, which is in Sydney. And um, I just remember like a sea of people coming out from the train stations and walking up into the stadium and we were up towards the back and so you could just see the amount of people in the stadium and the lights and then all the athletes coming in and it was a magical experience, something I vividly remember. Wow, that's crazy. So did you get to watch any sports? I went to the hockey. I saw a game of hockey. Oh, and, wow. And I remember, yeah, we went to the hockey and I just thought it was amazing. And being in Sydney, there was a, a big crowd at every sporting event that Australia played at. So we saw Australia play. And I remember the the iconic Aussie, Aussie, Aussie cheer being yelled out <laughs> while the hockey was on. And even that moment, I thought, wow, this is so cool. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, one question I want to ask, because, I mean, we don't have it up here in North America. The, what's the difference between club team, association team, and state team? Okay, so we grow up like a local club team is your local area. Um, so like your suburb. Um, and then from – so on a Saturday you play with your club, so your local area. And you play against other local areas in the same shire, like county or district, if you like. Um, and so each club plays against each other. And then the best in juniors, the best of each club team, for the, all the players, if you want to play for a rep team, you go to the representative tryouts. So it's the, the best players from that district, from that shire. So then it's the best of all the club players join our rep team and then our state championship is all the rep teams so all the different shires across new south wales or across sydney our city and state play against each other in a big state championship and then from that from all the best players of all the representative teams get selected as state teams and now it's the best of the best in the whole state okay wow and then and that's the the level below the national program. So the best players from all the states play for the national team. Okay. That's 
now yeah. perfectly good understanding of it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got to ask about 2011 and attending Junior Women's World in South Africa. First, uh, how awesome was it being named to that team? Oh, at that time, it was a dream come true because it was my first experience representing Australia on a national team. I had been in the junior Aussie squad for four years because at that time they were doing it, the tournament, the world championship every four years. And so it was a four-year process of Aussie squad training and tryouts and all that. So to finally make the team was so cool. And then we went away to South Africa, probably a place that we would never even thought about visiting since it's so far away. And we got to go there and play softball against many other different countries in the world. And that was my first experience on playing softball on the international level and seeing the different types of softball that each country played. And yeah, it was a fantastic experience for me. No, was the like, was the competition, you know, especially from the upper tier teams, like, you know, us and Japan, was that, was that an eye opener for you? Yeah, it was at the time I was in my sophomore year. I just went into my sophomore year of college. So I understood a little bit more about right. the U.S. style of game and I had seen it from a college perspective. But the Asian teams, for sure, it was um, an eye-opener because I had an experience playing against Japan or Taipei before and just seeing how quick they are and how they played was, yeah, a definitely eye-opening experience. Right on. Actually, that's a good segue. You mentioned you were in your sophomore season. I, how does So how does one from Australia end up in Memphis, Tennessee <laughs> anyway. Cause I mean, that's, that's quite a good question. <laughs> well, it kind of just worked out. Um, it wasn't something that I had planned exactly, but when I was 13 playing for my local club team, we had five Canadian girls come over from Canada to play the summer competition. Oh, who and, was that? Um, just, they played for in Sask- Saskatchewan. Okay. Uh, a small place called Regina, I think it's called. Yeah, I know Regina. Yeah, they're from that softball club and they came out to play and they were beautiful girls and they were, I think, 18, 19 years old and I was only 13. So I looked up to them and they were amazing players and they they saw potential in me and would talk to me about all the opportunities in softball over across the world. And they mentioned this thing about US college ball and I was like, oh, I haven't heard about that that sounds fun and they explained it to me and ever since then I was like okay that's my goal I want to play for Australia but I also want to go and play U.S. college ball because they explained it's one of the best competitions in the world and so when I was finishing high school at 16 17 years old my school asked every student to go to the careers advisor and put in uh, selections for what university you wanted to go to in Australia. And I went to the advisor and I said, I'm not going to university in Australia. I want to go play college ball in America. And they were like, look, you, you've got to put down preferences. Like this is how it works. You've got to put down things for the university here. And I said, I'm not doing it because I, I'm set on going to the US. And they said, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, let us at least guide you in the right direction for that. So the school helped connect me with a sort of like an agent, a lady who helped gather the information, like all your school grades and formulate a GPA because our schooling's a little bit different here. And then 
send out all the video footage of me and my skills and all of that. And um, she reached out to different universities and it happened that I got connected with a community college in Florida and at the time I didn't know the difference between a community college or anything else. <laughs> I just thought it was a, a cool place to go with a nice community perhaps and <laughs> uh, so I was talking to the coach at this school and there was another Australian girl at the time who was supposed to go to the University of Memphis and her and I were quite similar in age and also both pitchers and hitters. And so the two coaches knew each other and the other Australian girl ended up changing her mind and going somewhere else. And I think the two coaches were chatting and um, my coach, my the community coach said something like, well, if you want to have my Australian come to you instead since it's a Division One and a a better scholarship offer and a good experience for her, I'm happy to give her to you. And so this all happened through the agent and then she came to me and said, look, we've got a different opportunity for you. It's a Division One, which is the top um, tier for softball, so college softball. Um, it's in a place called Memphis, Tennessee. And I was like, oh, yeah, Memphis, I think that's where Elvis is from. Sure. <laughs> I was like, okay, no problem. And the school colour was blue and that was the same colour as all my other schools. So I thought, yep, sounds good, sign me up. So the first day I turned up was the first day of school and that was it. It was great. Wow, that's what a story. I like how the, I like how the coach said, well, since my Australian's gone, you can have my other Australian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I that. She was doing something good for me like her program was very good but going from a community college to a division one now understanding a little bit more about the difference um and the and memphis offered me a full ride oh, for four years perfect. So it was life-changing so and um i'm grateful for that kindness i bet i bet so how was the how was the transition to you know american living at first i was um in a little bit of a culture shock, not in a negative way, but just that everything was so different. And coming from Australia, like the university was massive and the culture was so strong and the softball was so competitive. Um, but I was so excited to just be there and have the opportunity to be amongst the university to study and all these new people, plus also have the opportunity to play softball and in the amazing facilities that the school offered. So. I just indulged myself and like tried to immerse in every aspect of that experience at Memphis and it didn't take me very long to get the hang of it and just like I enjoyed every single moment. Awesome. Awesome. How how was campus life? Oh, so good. Because I was a foreign student, um I stayed on campus living for all four years, which suited me really well. We had uh apartments like on-campus apartments oh, cool. and that was sort of yeah it was across the road it was just like any other off-campus place but I really liked it because it kept me close and convenient to everything and I could get to the field and back pretty easily so yeah I loved on-campus and all the different restaurants American restaurants everywhere and just being amongst the student life every day was so fun. Awesome. So what would you say was the biggest learning curve that freshman season? Oh, I think I learned a lot my freshman year about the game and it really 
taught me to to knuckle down, work hard, and improve. I am I improved a lot on my skills and strength in that first year. Um, I didn't play a lot, which I expected in a way being a freshman. Um, but, but I remember thinking that's okay. Like there's three years of girls ahead of me, but I'm going to learn and watch and practice really hard. And that's what I did. I just watched what the other girls did being more experienced and being American. And the next year I was the fourth string, like the fourth pitcher out of four. And the next year one girl had left and I had come back. And after the fall, I was the starting pitcher, the, the number ones. So I think that first year just training hard and watching what was going on and trying to learn as much as possible was the biggest part for me. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, you definitely learned quite a bit. Cause I mean, you went on to have four fantastic years there breaking 25 school records. I mean, not a lot of people do that. <laughs> what, uh, what's some of the uh, memorable moments you have from your time there? Oh, well, my freshman year, we had um, the coach that recruited me, Coach Windy Thies. Um, she got our team to the World Series. So that was the, f- the first and the last time that University of Memphis softball has ever got to the World Series postseason. So that was amazing. We, we played our regionals at Alabama, you know, Tuscaloosa. Oh, wow. So, that, yeah, I remember that vividly. And then from that first year, we didn't make a postseason again. But I do remember just like enjoying the games and throwing a lot. And because I was hitting, I would pitch pitch and hit the first game and then DP the second game. And I did that for the next three years. And I just like loved that um, <laughs> that workload, I guess, like being a, being a part of the lineup all the time and trying to help my team succeed. Uh, and then I think too another thing I loved about playing college ball was playing the home games and having the community come to watch us play and all the other athletes would come support us just like we would go to their different sporting games. So that was definitely a highlight, I think too. All right. So did does Memphis have a football program? Yes, a football program. So how, do have- what was that like? <laughs> Well, I enjoyed the football. I didn't really understand it when I first went because we don't have American football right. much in Australia. But I did learn it. And um, the first year, the first couple of years I was there, Memphis football didn't do very well to the point where when people would go away for Thanksgiving, I would still be in town with a couple of the local girls and we would go to the game and we would be like one of 20 in the entire stadium. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I just enjoyed it. Like I thought, yeah, this is great. I love it and the music and all of that. And then um, by my senior year, the football team ended up going to a bowl game. And so I had I got to watch them go from not very good to very good throughout my four years. And now they've got a fantastic football program and they've built a brand-new full-size indoor football field. And, wow. yeah, I loved it. I loved the American football and, and watching the Memphis football program grow and improve and achieve so much. That's awesome. That's awesome. The Rawlings Mantra Fast Pitch Bat helps you bring an elite level of focus, discipline, and power with you to the plate. Craft it with an innovative three-step inner barrel. This bat perfectly balances swing speed and massive pop. The fully reconstructed collar assembly creates the perfect harmony between flex 
and stiffness and is the number one choice for the Canadian women's national team. So the only question you need to ask yourself, what's your mantra? Um, so it's 2014, you're done in Memphis, you go back home. Was that when you found out that you'd be representing your country at the Women's Worlds in the Netherlands? I found out uh, during my senior year. So I went home in the January, so between the fall and the spring of my senior year. Okay. I played the, the Opens Women's National Tournament for the first time as a rookie, and I played well. And then I went back to college for the spring, and it wasn't long up that I was there maybe in the February and I found out that I was going to the world championship in August. Wow. How special was that? So special. I couldn't believe it. Like I had come home playing the national tournament coming back from college and I was a young one. I was only 21. So I just was there to give it my best shot. And then I got selected for the Australian program, which was an absolute dream come true, but it wasn't sort of like my goal at that time since I was still in college. It was a goal of mine one day, but I wasn't like heart set in it since I knew there were so many other older, more experienced girls a part of the program. Mm. But yeah, it was amazing. You guys won bronze, didn't you? Yes, we won bronze. And that is the last time we've won a medal at a world championship since. Oh, wow. Okay. That must have been, well, I mean, if it's the last time, it had to be quite a memorable experience for you though. Yeah, it was a very good experience. And being my first Aussie tour um, was even more special. We did over a month's tour from Japan, then to Italy, and then to the Netherlands. So there was quite a big build-up towards the Games at the World Championship, which was great for our program and great for me personally, being first-time and seeing how softball worked at the international um, on the international stage in each country. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Awesome. Now, if you don't mind me asking, what uh, what led to you not being named on the 2016 team? Oh, well, I had played a couple more years of the national tournament and done a lot of pitching throughout those couple years. And I had put my name down for selection. I was playing at that time professionally in Italy. I was in going into my second year in Italy and – I guess they just didn't think I was good enough. So I worked hard and I was pitching and one of the key parts to the battery uh, for New South Wales for my state team and I didn't get selected. Uh, I was heartbroken because I had been a part of the Aussie team before and I was a part of the squad. So um, I just didn't get picked. So I asked them for feedback because I wanted to improve and my feedback was, your my rise ball spin at the time wasn't a true rise ball spin and they needed they wanted me to have that so I worked very hard on rise balls for the next year (laughs) (laughs) and um, (laughs) so yeah that was that was the feedback I got and so yeah I went away and reinvented my rise ball and ended up making the team in 2018. 2018, that's right. Of course, yeah, you'd be back. 2018 World Cup in Japan. And speaking of Japan, what's it what's it like playing professionally over there? Oh, playing professionally in Japan is so much fun. It's so challenging. It would be, in terms of softball, the hardest experience, the most challenging experience I've ever done because you're practicing and training every single day of the week, all day, every day. So it's 
sort of like nine to five on the softball field, depending on schedule and stuff like that. But you're, you're on the field for six hours a day, most days, even on game day. Um, so I, I enjoyed that challenge. And from my first year there to my last year there, I learned a lot about the game and I learned a lot about myself and improved my skills and my fitness. I mean, which is inevitable if you're going to be on the field six days, um, six hours a day. Um, but I really like put in the effort to try and get the most out of that experience as well. But I think being a part of it and just seeing how the Japanese not only play the game, but how they work and how they train and the hours that they put in is very humbling and makes you realize like, wow, these girls just put in hour after hour after hour. And um, it is very eye-opening and I feel very privileged to have been a part of it for six years. And yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that experience for the, for the softball part of the experience, but also like the life experience, being a part of a totally different culture, learning a lot of Japanese and also having the opportunity to play my sport professionally at a level that is like earning an actual income playing the sport I love. Wow, that's awesome. If you're there for six hours a day, or six hour, day, six hour of the day, like what what are you doing for six hours? I like I find an hour and a half practice too long. <laughs> well, if I worked it out over over the years, so my team would um, you you arrive and they clean the field. They look after the field themselves. It's part of Japanese culture is like caring for the space that you use. So oh, that's we would great. Like, yeah, I I think it's fantastic as well. I think we should all do a little bit more of that in our own um, countries. Absolutely. But yeah, the, and they do that in all different spaces because I went to Japanese, so I saw how it worked in the companies and we would go out to schools and, yeah, it was amazing. But we would spend 30 minutes cleaning the field, so pulling weeds, raking dirt, fixing nets, whatever it was, and that's all the players' responsibilities. Coaches would help here and there, but, like, it was up to the players. So we'd do that for about 30 minutes and then we start stretch for another who knows how long <laughs> and then team meeting talk about things that we've done and things for the day ahead the schedule and then we start warm-up and warm-up would take at least an hour with uh more stretching running throwing a ball around like a medicine ball sprints long jogs sometimes we would do like a compulsory 30 minute team jog before warm-up so you run for 30 minutes and then you start your warm-up. Um, so that's why I think <laughs> partly why practice takes so long is because the warm-up is so long. And then we would go either into defense or offense. And if it was offense, sometimes the girls would hit between 500 to 1,000 balls a, a day. And so that takes two to three hours depending. Um, and then also defense. So defense would always go for at least an hour. And that would be different outfield and then infield and then combination stuff, base runners, and then different plays, game situation stuff. And because we are there for like working hours, there's no rush. So take time, talk through things. And then I would go do a pitching session at some some point when my catcher didn't have other things to do. So I'd do a pitching <laughs> session for a hour or depending what I wanted to work on, sometimes longer Um, And then if the girls are hitting, 
because I'm a pitcher and I didn't hit in the Japanese league, I would find things to do. So more stretching, I would do a little workout with a medicine ball or some core, go for a run. I got into running while I was over there because what else am I going to do while I'm waiting for the girl to hit a thousand balls? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes go for a walk, like the different parts of Japan that we were practicing or go play in. The landscape was gorgeous. So I'd go walking along the rice fields or in the mountains and it's exercise slash recovery slash I'm seeing a little bit of Japan as well. So yeah, that's what would, that's what would happen in those six hour sessions. Holy cow. You, I'm ready for a nap now. Like you just explained all that. And I'm, I'm ready to have a nap. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah, good at, at the end of every day. That's for sure. Well, it goes to show, no wonder they're so good both in the men's and women's international competition because if they're, they're both doing that. Holy cow. No wonder. Wow. Yeah. I've seen some of, some of your uh, photos there online about the, the landscape of, of Japan there and, and the cherry blossoms that those are absolutely beautiful. They are gorgeous. And the longer I was there, the more I realized that I guess years ago when some of those trees were planted, they were planted on purpose along uh, river streams or around sporting fields. So when cherry blossom season came, those places she were just like lit up with pink flowers and it was just magical, so pretty. Wow, that's great. So did you know Japanese when you initially went there or did you just you learned, learned it while you were there? I learned it while I was there, but I did do three months of Japanese in year seven, seventh grade in high school, but I remembered like three three phrases Um, but I learned a lot while I was over there my team for the most part didn't have a translator we had translator help on the weekends every now and then um for our games but every day at training sort of stuff I never had a translator so I made an effort to try and learn as much as I could because I wanted to be self-sufficient and so one of my friends showed me an app that she uses to study Japanese because she was doing similar thing, trying to learn the language. And so I just tried to learn as much as I could and would ask lots of questions and pick up as much of the language as I could. So I could talk about softball, coffee, have a laugh, you know, all the important things in life. And if it was politics, I couldn't talk about that in Japanese, but (laughs) I got by. That's awesome. That's excellent. Um, Let's talk Olympic Games. Because I need to know what kind of emotional roller coaster ride was the, those couple of years. Because I've talked to quite a few Olympians on here, and they said, you know, the whole pandemic was it was a roller coaster. So, how was it through your eyes? Oh, well, Softball Australia did it a little bit differently, where they selected the team two weeks out from going to the Olympic Village. And so, we had the couple of years lead up. So, we did the qualifier in 2019. And then we had, we're going into 2020. And for me, I, being in and out of the selection process, like in 2016, I missed out. And um, I was sort of like always on the cusp. I was never a shoe in to make the team. And this was my dream. I was working very hard to make that Olympic team. And I had taken feedback. I actually missed out on the qualifier team in 2019. So I had a, a fire burning in me hotter than ever. Um, so I was working really hard to make that Olympic squad or make that Olympic team and working on my skills. And 2020 came around and I remember like we went to a camp at the Institute of Sport in the March 
and we were sitting in the cafeteria having breakfast and they have TVs in there with the morning news on for all the athletes to watch. Right. And someone glanced up and goes, oh, look. And it was a suburb near where I live in Sydney with this thing called coronavirus. And everyone was like, oh, is that near you? Yeah, oh, wow. And we didn't know much about it. Anyway, we got home from camp and then it was on like everybody else around the world. Um, so for me personally, I remember when the Aussie squad told us on Zoom, like, look, the Olympics are being postponed to next year. We're going to continue with our squad stuff through Zoom and as best as possible. But at that time, I almost felt in a way a sense of relief because this Olympic dream to me was so important, the most important thing to me in my life. And I wanted it so bad that I just tried to think of it as um, as all positive. So as soon as it got announced to us as a group, I thought to myself, this is fantastic. I have another year to work hard on my skills and to be so good that they can't do anything but select me and they're not going to overlook me because I'm going to be so, so, so good. By the time another year rolls around, I'm going to make that Olympic team. So I, during that lockdown period, I just embraced every day and just thought of it as a blessing, another opportunity for me to improve. And I worked hard on the skills that I was told I needed to be better at. I worked hard on my strengths. And um, by the time that 2021 and the camp started happening, happening again in March, April, I was prepared and felt I felt a lot more at ease mentally than I did the year before as the Olympics were coming closer. I was getting a bit anxious or nervous. I knew I was good enough, but I didn't feel settled. But by 2021, I felt prepared more than ever. And I knew my mindset is always, I want to make sure that I'm giving myself the best opportunity to be the best me and leave no doubt. Like I know that I can compete and succeed against anybody out there so when camps came around again I felt good about it of course as it became closer and closer there was I was anxious in a way um, because it meant so much but I felt prepared and then we left as a group to Japan as a squad of 23 players we all left to Japan together and we trained for a month in Japan as a squad still not knowing the selection and that was tough. That was really, really hard. Um, the training that we were doing was fantastic, but being someone in the squad that wasn't a shoo-in and I had to prove myself to earn my spot, um, it was stressful. Like it, there was never a sense of like relaxation time because I was just so on edge and I knew every day was a selection. Um, but I like tried my very hardest to stay focused and not get too ahead of myself mentally. And I knew that my, my teammates and my friends were in the same boat. Like, you know, we were training hard towards a goal, but on the other hand, we were also training hard to be selected for that team. And then when finally selection came, we had two weeks together as a, as a team. And then we moved into the, into the village, but it was like, like you said, a roller coaster up and down of emotions, like the entire experience. Um, but something that I am forever grateful to be a part of. When when you got word that you were officially on the team, how emotional were you? Oh, uh, like 
it was it was hectic. Like I'm quite chatty. <laughs> chat but I remember when I went into the meeting room and the coach asked me hey Elle how are you I like couldn't open my mouth because if I opened my mouth I was just going to lose it and so I think I squeezed out a good and then with that like just water started falling from my eyes and we hadn't even like sat down at that point um and he was like talking to me about you know the things we've been working on and the journey we've got till here and I could like hardly breathe like a lump in my throat all of this I've just and I'm like normally not like that I try and keep myself somewhat composed but it just was meant so much to me and then finally he just was like so we've selected you we want you to be a part of our Tokyo 2020 Olympic campaign you're going to the Olympics and I was like oh my gosh thank you so much I was like this is way better than Christmas like the, the best thing ever I was so happy Oh, I imagine. Well, especially, you know, the fact that you sat at the opening ceremonies in 2000 and here it is 21 years later and you're getting to be a part of the Olympics. Like, that's just an amazing story. Yeah, it really, really was amazing and so special to me. And up until the 2020 Olympics, I hadn't thought much past that. So it was my heart had been set on it for so long and it felt like a huge relief and a huge success and just like the best feeling in the world. So how was the whole experience for you? Cause I, I mean, of course, I mean, you guys didn't medal or anything, but I mean the whole experience for you personally, especially that game against Italy where you got to come in and, and end the game, that must've been, you know, pretty gratifying for you. Yeah. I loved the experience. It was again, a roller coaster, And I think for some of us only having two weeks, knowing that we were going to be Olympians, at the Olympic Games was a challenge in itself because it wasn't something, you know, we had known for a long enough. Um, but coming in to that Italian game, that was my first um, first go at the Olympics because I didn't play the first game against Japan. And I came in that seventh inning and it was actually my dad's birthday, so it made it even more special. Oh, wow. But, yeah, and it was it was good because Kaya has led our program for a long time and for a long for many years I have always come in to relieve her if needed and so that Italian game was just like what me and Kaya always do she would pitch a fantastic start and I would come in and close the door and so when that happened um, it was just like same as always and she did her job and I knew what my job was to help her and help the team and yeah, was that was a dream come true as well, like coming in to have that opportunity to get the last out. And for our team, it was a, a big moment. Um, so to be a part of it was really, really cool. And something that me and my family still talk about, my dad still says best birthday ever. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I don't I imagine. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then just being amongst the Olympic environment was sort of surreal at the time. Like, I knew I was there, but I couldn't also believe that it was happening again because it all happened sort of so fast, going from selection and then into the games. Um, the Canada game was the next go, the next opportunity that I got to play, and I wasn't as satisfied with the job I did. I, I don't think our team in general was as good as we could have been that day, and I wanted to do my own job better for the group, and then. The last game I 
was a part of was the last game of our tournament, which was against Mexico, and I came in as a relief and pitched the last half of the game and did my job there. So I was happy and content that I could help my team and, and finish the Olympic campaign off well. Right um, but, yeah, it was just an enjoyable experience, a huge learning curve. Like as soon as the games were done, I was like, oh, I want to go back and do it again now. Like I was – I didn't want to wait however long it was till softball was back in the Olympics and have another opportunity to be a part of it. I just loved it so much and I thought even just having done it, I understood and knew so much more. I wanted to have another go knowing that I've done it once and I can do it all over again. It would be so fun. Yeah. Was it weird playing in front of no fans for you? Um, it was a little strange, I guess, but... Again, I always try and just focus on the things in my control and I knew that was so far out of my control. Right. And at that time at that time so many weird things had been happening with like isolation and masks and all that. So it was kind of normal to be things not happening as they should. But also softball in Australia is not a big sport where we're not it's not a popular sport. Not many people know about softball in Australia, which is something we're working on. Um, but as softballers who've grown up here playing in Australia, we don't ever really get many fans at our games. There's been moments, but genuinely, like if you were to play in a in our biggest stadium in Australia, there wouldn't be too many people. So for us, we just felt like we were at home and in front of a few parents, and that was it. So it was okay. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I always I told different. Uh, Olympians that have had on since then that watching it on TV, the biggest thing that I found was being able to hear you guys talking to each other. And I found that aspect of it really cool. Like, you know, hearing you guys talking like that, if there was fans there, you would not have been able to hear that. And I just thought that was a pretty cool uh, way of watching the game. I didn't know that. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really neat. It was really neat. And so, I mean, you go from playing in, with no fans there in 2021 and then you know the next year when you guys are at the world games in alabama at the met i mean that was a totally different experience because there was a lot of fans there yeah there was and it's funny you ask about that because for me at that time i was like this is amazing like the amount of people that were at every single game the stadium was packed it didn't matter who was playing um and then we were at the university of alabama campus the whole games was so there was athletes from all over the world at this on this campus in the food court and it felt like a mini olympics um and i remember thinking especially for the about half our squad at least who went to the olympics like this was our little reward for being at the olympics the year before this was the extra bit that we missed out on having the amounts of people and people in the stands and especially playing softball in the U.S. where softball is loved mm. and playing against USA um, with all those people watching, like just having the amount of people cheering in sync was so fun. And it was good for us as a, as a group. The Olympian players that were there got that experience the year after. But the thing I loved too was we had a – a bunch of new girls who've come into our squad that year and are still in the squad now. And it was, I thought it was a great opportunity for them to see like, this is what softball is on the international stage. And 
what a great way to start their careers. But yeah, I loved playing at the World Games. That that was a really really fun week for everybody. Yeah, that would like you said for the for the new girls coming in, that'd be a huge experience for them. Get get you know getting to play in front of that many people. Totally, and I have a couple friends on different national teams and after that I went back to playing with pride for the rest of the summer and I asked one of the girls one of my teammates who was on USA and we had played against team USA in one of the night games and I was pitching that game and I remember the whole stadium just chanting USA as I was pitching to their hitters and I felt I felt good about that because I was like all these people are cheering for this game right now how amazing I'm going to use this and um when I got back to my to Pride, I asked my team, I was like, I thought it was incredible being cheered against. What was it like having all those people actually cheer for you? And, and she said, oh, yeah, that, you know, that was incredible and that's what our sport needs is more experiences like this. And, yeah, it was just incredible to be a part of and, yeah, so cool. That would be amazing. Oh, I, I got goosebumps thinking about that as a pitcher, you know, having like even if they are cheering against you, you're like that motivates you so much. Yeah, I love it. I'm like, come on, cheer louder. Give it to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so fun. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) You just brought up, you know, you went back to the Pride. How How was your last two seasons with the Pride anyway? I really enjoy playing with the Pride. It's a different experience again because you're playing a game basically every day at the end of the day. So a night game and then it's three days in a row. Then the next day is a travel day and then you do it again, three days of games travel day and just playing top level softball against some of America's all-time best players is a challenge and playing each evening having that schedule and having the fan base the amount of people that come watch our game and support us and fans and autographs being a part of that experience is so much fun and I love competing against all types of hitters but the American style hitters being a different aspect of game style of game and I love the challenge of finding new ways to beat them and being amongst my pride teammates like some of those girls are um, big names in our sport and just playing alongside them and asking them questions in the dugout and sharing experiences and just sharing the game with my peers people who love the game are passionate about about the game and at the top of their game is really, really fun for me. And that's why I play like moments like that is just so enjoyable. And um, yeah, I love being a part of pride and the professionalism that the organization treats us with. And all of that is a lot of fun. Excellent. So what's, what's the future hold for you? LA 2028 on the radar for you? Well, I would love to go to LA 2028. So at this stage, I'm taking it one day at a time. I'm focusing on the day at hand and just being the best me today. And if I'm happy, enjoying myself, doing my job and healthy, then maybe LA 2028, I will get there. But I'm just enjoying the day at hand and um, still working out my schedule for the year ahead. So I uh, declined my contract to go back to Japan this year. It's time for a change for me, I decided. And so I'm with the Aussie squad. I'm playing in New Zealand at the moment. And I've had uh, a few offers in various countries to go over and play this year. So I'm just currently uh, figuring out the best options and talking to people about 
negotiating contracts and stuff like that. So watch this space. <laughs> um, I might be off to a new place this year. I just see what works out. And then with the Aussie squad in selection for the World Cup finals this year. So I'm working hard to hopefully be selected for that. So awesome. Well, we'll, we'll definitely be, we'll definitely be watching for your announcement for sure. Um, awesome. A thing we like to end the podcast with, uh, I call it player association. I'm going to throw out some names to you that you, okay. you definitely would know. And uh, you can touch on them a little bit. If you have a funny story about them, let it fly. Okay, I'll try. All right. First one I have up is friend of the show, Stacy Porter. Stacy Porter is a legend. She is the ultimate Aussie captain, has led us. Um, for many years and is a true example of a great athlete but also a great teammate and, and just plays the game at the pinnacle all the time. True. Yeah. A lot of respect for her. Oh, we love Stace. She is just amazing. I agree. Uh, next up I have is Belinda White. Oh, Belle White. I love her. She, her and I have had a lot of years pitching together with the Aussie team and having gotten better and better and better to working together as a battery. And my favorite experience with her has been the last couple of years, the world games. And then last year in Ireland at the world cup group stage. Um, I, I just loved the things that we achieved together. She makes me laugh. She, she's passionate about the game and she keeps me honest and makes me work hard. And yeah, I love working with bell. I'm going to meet her so much. Awesome. Uh, next up is Lisa Malden. Oh, Lise, she's a legend too. She is one of those people that is like a true teammate. She goes above and beyond for everybody on her team. And we've had so many fun times. She was my teammate in Japan for two years. And being the other foreigner, she was my person. We chatted and leaned on each other every day for two years in Japan. And yeah, I, I love the memories and things that we've done together. She's a great girl and a great player. Awesome. Uh, two more here. Uh, Ali Carta. <laughs> uh, Ali is fantastic. That's one person I love being teammates with. She's a I bet. competitor. Yeah, she's a competitor and I love talking, pitching with her and sharing ideas, but then she's also so lovely and fun to hang out and chat with by the pool as well. And yeah, she's a, a great teammate and I love being um, a pitching team with her. Awesome. I saw you, you got to her, go to her and Crutch's wedding. Yeah, that was a special day. I bet. For their wedding and to celebrate the two of them and with all the people there was fantastic. It was beautiful. Yeah. I saw quite a bit of pictures, like reads like the who's who in, in women's softball there. I was like, wow, what an all-star team here. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun. And to have all the people who were there celebrating them, it was Amazing. Absolutely. Uh, last, certainly not least, another friend of the show, Hope Troutwine. Oh, Hope. She's awesome. I got to know Hope over the last few years with Pride, and she is the spark in our team in the dugout. She's one of the loveliest people. She's so positive. She works so hard, and the skills that she has as a pitcher are also incredible. But I just love being around her. She is one of the happiest um, people to be around and always brings joy and just so kind. Yeah, I wish I could spend more time with her throughout the year rather than just 
three months of the summer. She's awesome. Awesome. Great way to end it. Well, listen, Al, I got to thank you for, you know, coming on early on a Friday morning because it's Friday there and it's the morning and, uh, you know, just taking the time to come on and talk about your career and, and we definitely appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat all things softball. So thank you, Randy. Absolutely. And hey, best of luck going forward, no matter what you're doing, whether it's on the field or off the field. And we're definitely going to be watching for, you know, what's next for you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you, Randy. I'm taking time off from the act and I gotta relax. I need a new beat. Yo, for stroll, I got a few treats. You been up in the city nah. long? Only two weeks. Cool. Well, sorry about the weather. It's been raining all week. I hope it gets a little better. Either way, class, listen. I got an ill vision by the song I'm working on. You think you got the right rhythm? Man, come on. You know I got some shit that'll break your neck. I used up what I want, but you can take what's left. Don't give me bullshit, dog. You know I blaze the set. You know you got something to say for us. I got an ill concept. Hip hop. I will pay the real line death since what? 1987, I've been rapping in the ciphers in the sessions And I'll still be getting stressed on the yeah. block You know it's, it's hard, hard to be hip-hop And ain't nobody staying real uh. Don't pay bills when you showcase skill uh. Ain't nobody living off of doing windmills Or painting train rails, that's real It's hard to be hip-hop <laughs> Cause I don't pack steel to my tracks appeal And to the mass appeal, watch a fast say fail Yeah, I'm hip-hop son until my casket sealed It's hard in the culture when the fans are fickle Understand my issue, yo man will diss you One minute you're whack and then your jam's yeah. official And then they switch again, throw bottles of cancer hit you First they loved LL, and then they hated them And then they loved them again, and they degraded them So lately, basically, I don't know if I could play to win Survival of the fittest, let me see what type of shape yo, I'm in Yo, when I was younger, like 19 I could spend all day writing rhyme schemes Spitting freestyle and cypher in the streets But now I got responsibilities, yo it's hard to be hip-hop